0: Anna and Mike LeBenz recently celebrated their 20-year anniversary. I know this because Anna posted on social media a beautiful photo of the two of them on their wedding day, and she wrote, Our story is one of adventure, heartache, and passion. You know those people who we see and we think, I'm afraid to ask what's new because they always have something wild going on. That's Anna and Mike (laughs) <laughs> with everything that y'all have been through i, I imagine you stop asking what's next god like,
1: you'd, <laughs> you'd we would love a year of boredom Mike has said that over and over and over again yeah
0: this is two lives from kjzz original productions i'm laura morales When they got married, Mike and Anna LeBenz both knew they wanted kids. We thought about getting pregnant, and we got pregnant.
2: <laughs> There's eight years between us, so I think Mike was just kind of like, well, whenever you want to start, but I don't want to be the old dad, was kind of the conversation. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> they had a boy, and named him Jack.
1: You know, the pregnancy was completely uneventful, very healthy. The, you know, he As a baby, he was very easy, just a joy to have around. It was just a you know, after the experience of Jack, it's like, well, of course we wanted to have more kids because it was very easy.
0: Two years later, they got pregnant again. They started calling the baby JLB for Jack's little brother. But this pregnancy didn't go so smoothly. At what point did you know something's not right?
2: Um, about six weeks before, I had, like, this overwhelming feeling that something was wrong. And he had started having... Um, hiccups and like really like a lot of hiccups then the pregnancy became painful and i had such bad back pain um i couldn't even hardly walk like the last couple weeks of the pregnancy
0: but on the ultrasound jlb looked fine all the way up to two days before his due date mike who's a radiologist came home from a long shift at the hospital and woke up anna he says, hey, how are you feeling this morning? Like, we get
2: to meet our baby boy tomorrow. And I just looked at him and was like, I don't think that the baby's moving. So he put his hands on my stomach, and I don't know, we sat there for how long?
1: I don't know. It was a long time, but I was, I was convinced that I could feel him move.
0: Anna's sister had flown in to take care of Jack, and Anna was already dilated, so she scheduled an induction. When the couple went to the hospital as planned, a nurse hooked Anna up to a monitor. And we had like a new nurse,
2: and she couldn't find his heartbeat. So she went. And it and, should
1: not be hard to find.
2: Yeah. So then she goes and gets the charge nurse, and then for a brief moment she's like, "Oh, there it is. There's his heartbeat," and you could hear like a really, really faint heartbeat. And then it was my heartbeat. Mm-hmm.
1: So, so they call for an emergency ultrasound. The ult- ultrasound tech is looking, and I'm watching over her shoulder. I was like. I mean, I could see it was obvious that the heart was not beating.
2: And then you, like, go through all these things, like, you're
0: kind of scared. She's so stupid that you're scared to see your baby. Mm -hmm. Anna hadn't had any pain medication with Jack and had planned the same for JLB. My OB-GYN finally came in, and she's, because I was
2: crying so hard. And she just said, she goes, you know, right now,
0: Your heart is hurting so bad that your body doesn't need to be hurting. So Anna had an epidural to take away at least the physical pain. She labored, and JLB was finally born, and the room was silent.
2: And it was like the most beautiful, peaceful moment that I've ever had in my whole life. There was no, like, normally when a baby's born, there's chaos. Mm-hmm.
1: It
2: was just quiet.
1: Yeah. Then I know it's it's completely irrational, but up until then, when he came out, I was still waiting for him to cry.
2: Ugh.
1: And it was, uh, you know, like, comes out, and I was like, okay, now cry.
0: You were waiting for him to cry because you were still hopeful? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Afterwards, Anna and Mike say many well meaning family and friends offered unsolicited advice. Anna's mom said Jack shouldn't meet his baby brother. Mike's parents insisted JLB be baptized. So you feel really like you have no power in this. You're like,
2: A, you are in this horrible situation. And now you feel like all of the decisions that you could make surrounding your child are no longer yours to make.
0: Anna remembered her mom lost a baby a week after he was born. Her brother, Alex, had a heart defect. Anna's mom came home from the hospital, and the nursery had already been dismantled, like there was never a baby to begin with.
1: There's always some reminder. You know, I'd run into somebody who, you know, knew that we were expecting but hadn't heard. It's like, hey, how's that baby? You know, and it's just, you know, it just feels like a kind of a kick in the gut.
2: Yeah, and then, like, as a mother, your body doesn't know that your baby's not alive. So, like, the morning of his funeral, like, my milk came in. So then you have all of these, like, physical reminders that your baby is not here.
0: Anna and Mike discovered they grieved differently and needed different things and how that can really just cause a wedge between you so mm-hmm. you already feel so
2: alone and isolated and the one person who has that shared experience with you also needs something different as they navigate through and grieve that you really just fall into this like dark abyss mm-hmm. of how do we do this?
1: Yeah and we didn't have the vocabulary didn't know how to talk about it even then.
0: And the only support group was for parents who'd lost children of all ages, from a miscarriage to someone who'd lost a 40-year-old. So Anna decided to do something about that. She started a grief group, and whenever someone had a stillbirth at the hospital, Anna got a call. She'd jump in her car to sit bedside with the family. They called it the JLB Project.
2: And so one thing with JLB Project has always been to empower the families with what their choices are because you feel so disempowered. Yeah, yeah. And then the best thing that you can do is like make sure that they know that, like take time, like there is no rushing this time because this time is going to be too short as
0: it is. The JLB Project has helped hundreds of families grieve. Anna and Mike built the Children's Memorial Garden of Flagstaff, where families can put up a plaque for a child they've lost. And they can have some place to go that isn't a cemetery to remember their son or daughter. Here's Anna giving a speech at a plaque dedication a couple years ago. For
2: those of you who are so near to your loss, look to those of us who are two years, three years, five years out from our loss. Look to us for hope, and you aren't alone. My wish for all of you today is that you will feel loved and supported as you navigate your grief and that hope will be with you for the days that you are once again happy. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for being here.
0: On July 20th, Anna posted on Facebook a sweet black and white photo of JLB with his eyes closed. And she wrote, You are one of my life's greatest gifts.
2: He changed the trajectory of our lives. You know, I feel like Everything comes to the surface. All of the things we were struggling with in our
0: marriage came to the surface that we had to address. Anna and Mike made it through. And they still wanted to have another child. But they were scared. They wanted to know how JLB died so they could prevent it from happening again. He died of an umbilical cord accident, which is what it's called when there's a knot or a wrap in the cord. Anna did some research and found the leading expert in the field, Jason Collins, who has since retired from the Tulane Pregnancy Institute. She called him up. He's like, does your baby have the hiccups? And I was like, yes. Well, if you have a baby that's hiccuping more than five minutes, let's say ten minutes long, which is what I usually hear, and this is happening
1: four and five times in a day, well, there's a problem, and the problem is that you're getting cord compression.
0: It's not if the baby has a single hiccup or just a few. It's if the baby is having three or more episodes lasting 10 minutes or longer in a 24-hour period. Then, he says, you need to go to the hospital and have what's called a non-stress test for at least 24 hours. I was like, well, I didn't know. You know, I didn't know. I didn't. How would you know that? I mean, I was obsessive reading books Mm -hmm. about pregnancy and birth when I was pregnant. I didn't. I don't recall anything. So they're afraid that people are gonna get
2: afraid. They show up all the time with their baby having hiccups. It's
0: sort of a taboo topic. Mm -hmm. Part of that is they're afraid of litigation if they miss one,
1: and the other part of that is most people don't understand it because it's not taught at all.
0: So, fueled with this knowledge, Anna and Mike got pregnant again. At 20 weeks, they went in for an ultrasound, and the tech, along with Mike, could see that once again, something was not right.
1: It was obvious that something was amiss. Hmm. And so, you know, I looked at it and there was something wrong. The kind of wrong that may not be compatible with life.
0: They couldn't find a functioning kidney, so Anna's doctor sent her down to Phoenix to see a perinatologist. The sonographer looked and looked, Find one.
2: So, as the ultrasound's going on, I'm becoming more and more hysterical and crying more. And finally, the ultrasound tech is like, get up off the table, go move around, take a walk, get your breath, and come back. So, Mike and I went out and to this little garden area, and we both just prayed. Mm -hmm. We got on our knees and we prayed. And went back in and she had me get on the table and she put the transducer on my belly and right there was a tiny little kidney that was really i don't know what's incredible the right word. yeah it's incredible and just again felt the, the presence of something greater than myself
0: just to be safe anna and mike flew to new orleans to meet with jason collins the umbilical cord specialist he saw a healthy baby and no entanglement, but sent them home with a monitor and instructions to check every night. The results were sent to Collins, as well as Anna's doctor, Lori Perrin. Weeks went by. They picked out a name, Olivia, and prepared her room. Everything was fine, until one night, Olivia got the hiccups, and they didn't go away. They lasted for seven minutes, which Collins said, should indicate a cord compression, so Anna and Mike went to the hospital. Olivia's heart rate was fine, but taking no chances, Lori kept them there five more days. The baby's biophysical profile wasn't looking great, so at 32 weeks, they decided to induce.
2: The alarms go off and Olivia has a cord compression, and they did an emergency C-section, and Olivia's cord was wrapped around her ankle, just like JLB's. It was crazy.
0: So had you not gone to New Orleans or done all of the monitoring that you had done, yeah, it would have been the same outcome?
2: Very well could have been. Or could have. Mm-hmm. Could have been. I imagine you've affected the way Dr. Perrin does her work. Yeah, she says I have. And those babies' lives mm-hmm. have been potentially saved because of what she's learned and that she was open to taking information that wasn't given to her in med school, that is controversial, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. and
0: listening to it and being mm-hmm.
2: open to it. Mm-hmm.
0: So today, Mike and Anna appreciate Jack and Olivia, who are now that 17 and 12, probably a little bit more than most parents. Here they are see? playing life on a but recent Sunday.
1: You say <laughs> <you're> heathen. <laughs> You need five of those? Mm-hmm. Alright. Three. I think you started one.
2: Luffy's raking it
1: in. Yeah. Mom, I haven't even graduated
0: yet. I know Anna has decided to take a step back from the JLB project to focus on the living. We celebrate our, our rainbow babies, that's what they call a baby that's born after a loss. It's mm. like the rainbow after a storm. One of the things their family does now is go on adventures. Climbing, scuba diving, skiing. In June, they went to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. On their last morning, they decided to get up early and go for a hike in the Tetons.
1: So we were headed to the trailhead and we had talked about it with them. You know, listen, we need to be talking. We need to be aware that there could be bears out that early in the morning. We don't want to surprise any bears. So we're making noise as we go.
0: And what kind of noises were you making?
1: We were just talking. Oh. You know, just, you know, not... I was we're clapping not we- every
0: <laughs> once in a
2: while.
1: And <laughs> we're walking along. Jack is in front, followed by Anna and then Olivia, and I'm in the back. And Jack goes bare and stops. And I can see just the butt of a bear coming out of the you know, wetland area up onto the trail and turn towards us. How far away? It was probably 40 feet okay. at this point.
0: Pretty close. And
1: so, yeah. Too close. It was uncomfortably close <laughs> <Too> already. Close. <laughs> I am stationary, so Olivia and Anna and Jack, you know, get their way around the trail I on get me.
2: the furthest away.
1: Put <laughs>
2: no, your kids you know, in front of you. No, the kids.
1: <laughs> so we are trying to, as calmly as we can, um, <laughs> back away slowly while waving our arms, as all of the books have, have said.
0: Mike was thinking. What an amazing experience to see this bear up close.
1: I've taken out my phone <laughs> to take a picture, and, you know, so I'm fumbling with so my phone stupid. trying to You'd take a picture.
0: you never know who grew up in Wyoming
2: in these mountains.
1: <laughs> you know, so we're backing up, so I've got my phone in one hand, I'm trying to get it to take a picture while I'm also trying to back up slowly and wave <laughs> an arm and... Whatever, you have and, to
2: say what we were saying, too.
1: Yeah. And was, so we're backing up, <laughs> waving our arm, yelling, people here, people, not food, people.
2: You don't want to eat people.
1: And uh, <laughs> the bear is mo- moving towards us at a very leisurely, slow bear walk.
0: So they started picking up their pace and backing up a little faster.
1: Mm-hmm. And then the bear breaks into... Uh, A bear jog, you know, so it is, uh, you you know, a partial, you know, it's not walking anymore, but it's certainly not at a full speed run. And at this point, I thought that it was time to put away the phone. And (laughs) (laughs) uh, so the bear abruptly turns and jumps onto the trunk of a tree.
0: At this point, the bear climbs his front paws up the tree into a standing position. This is when Mike realizes how big the bear is. It's at least two feet taller than his son Jack, who's six foot four. Mike also saw the markings of a grizzly bear: sloped snout, hump between the shoulder blades, massive claws. Because it was a grizzly, or you think it was a grizzly? Did you know that it was it was a more dangerous situation? Oh yeah. Okay. You, you yeah, because
1: would... we we've been told and you know read that black bears are almost always harmless but grizzlies are very unpredictable and aggressive.
0: But Mike thought the bear's more interested in the tree at this point, so he starts hopping sideways, keeping one eye on the animal, the other eye on the trail. When he looks up at the bear,
1: it jumps back down off of the tree onto the trail, facing us and comes in a full charge. And so Holy crap. I yell over my shoulder, run he just goes run (laughs) and
2: "Ah." i'm like okay i'm out of (laughs) here
1: yes and i could see i could see out of the corner of my eye jack you know jack was still fairly close to me i could see he took off running Uh and i'm still i'm still backing i'm still waving my arms wildly you know
0: until the bear is just 15 feet away mike pulls his large green backpack up over his head drops to the ground in the fetal position, putting the pack between him and the bear.
1: And I could see, looking back under my arm, at the moment that I had done that, the bear turns 90 degrees to his right or our left and heads up the hill, never to be seen again by us.
0: Whoa.
1: Yeah, it was crazy.
0: How did you keep from... Screaming and running and you know doing what you're not supposed
2: to we do. We had Olivia. The whole time we were in Jackson, she was like researching what to do if you encounter a bear. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, "Mom, don't you scream? Don't you scream, Mom?" I was like, I really <laughs> she's like, When we started to run, when Mike said run, she's like, "Everything said not to run." <laughs> but she's you're... running with us. <laughs>
1: Anne and Olivia were clearly not. We're no longer visible to the bear, because and Jack Jack was still visible. To Jack his. had
2: some loyalty to Mike. He was gonna try to save him with his pocket knife. Yeah.
0: Bless him. So the name of this podcast is Two Lives, and it's based on a quote by Confucius. He says, "We're all given two lives. The second one starts the moment we realize we only have one." And I just wondered if that brought up anything for either of you.
1: Um, My life had been uh, easily defined by The next achievement or the next goal once I'd gotten to the point where well I don't really have any more of these goals that corresponded in time With when we lost JLB the combination of those events made me really have to look at my life You know what am I going to do now? I've always been striving for the next thing and now I'm faced with the reality that I don't have those goals anymore and the future is no longer a given and you know, no longer this predictable thing that I had some control over. The, the whole thing was a, re- a revelation and, and definitely made me much more present in, in what I'm doing and, and how I live.
2: And all of these like goals, like Mike said, like you have life goals as a kid and when you're in college and you start trying to shape your life and seeing what that looks like and then you work really hard to hold on to that. Then when you have a tragedy, it's like you don't have control over that. Mm. Like you can work as hard as you want to create this, but ultimately it's not really in your hands. What is in your hands is how you respond to what you're dealt. So if you're dealt a really difficult situation, you can either choose to hang on to bitterness and anger or you can choose to look at how it's changed you. Mm -hmm. And I always call those my gifts. So JLB's given me gifts because of the way that he... the circumstance of his death changed me. And then you can move forward with a grateful heart.
0: And that's clearly what Anna and Mike have done. This is Two Lives. From KJZZ Original Productions, I'm Laurel Morales. Next week on Two Lives... Justin Swanson was only 38 when his heart stopped. This was truly like a a near-death experience, like I truly was dead for seven minutes. I know I was terrified, um, but I also remember thinking, you know, it's, it's me, like I'm trained for this, I'm the one who has to fix this. Two lives, the second one starts the moment we realize we only have one. Download at kjzz.org or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like it, please leave a review.